and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. Hey, welcome all to the podcast, Focus on Pocus, live from Philadelphia, where it's always sunny. So today we have Andrea Funk, all from a director of education from the Global Education Group. And Andrea has been in the medical education industry since about 2011. And during her time with Global, she's focused on program management and operations with an emphasis on customer service. She received her degree in business from the University of Denver, and when she isn't managing programs, mentoring employees, or completing outcomes and reconciliations, she likes to spend her time painting, crocheting, or at concerts. All right. Andrea, how are you today? I'm well. How are you, James? So you live out there in winter wonderland. Um, No snowboarding, cross-country skiing, or ice skating, anything like that? No. You know what? I think... I'm probably not the only native who just never really got into that, uh, as it can be quite quite costly, and then it's a headache to get up the mountain, a headache to get down the mountain. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I is that like... That's what I got into. Is that like living at the beach and not being a fisherman or a sailor? That's what you're saying? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So you, we're going to talk about a lot of cool things. The biggie is uh, continuing medical education and CMEs and why most people in allied health and the healthcare field, physicians, nurses, techs, keep up their CMEs so they can keep up their registry and their um, continuing education. So um, well, I don't know. Let's start it off while you were talking a little bit earlier before we started about a little bit about the off-label use that's allowed in CMEs. Yeah, so the Continuing Medical Education Forum is kind of one of the only areas where physicians or allied healthcare practitioners can speak about um, various treatment options Mm off-label. Any other type of education would require the FDA adherence to what it's been approved for on-label. And with those off-label discussions, it kind of opens up a forum, you know, there might be better drugs to treat a condition than what is currently, you know, best known for the, like, on the FDA timeline or on the FDA scope of what's approved. Um, You know, one of the biggest probably examples is that, you know, I think originally anyways, Viagra was intended for for heart failure, Mm -hmm. um, and they obviously quickly discovered that that was better for something else. And at some point in time, as with many drugs, I'm sure there was an off-label prescription of it. Um, until it was refocused as to the drug that it is now. Mm-hmm. And now I think it's geriatric, I saw. I think I saw in the trade somewhere. So, huh. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty crazy. And sometimes certain certain pharmacological agents are better at treating certain conditions than others, and it's more of a just an off-label use that people kind of fell into or discovered. And so to be able to share that information might, you know, ultimately help the treatment of a patient in the long run. Yeah. So speaking of treatments, what's some of the updates on the latest treatments or advances in in a typical therapeutic area? Oh, I mean, there's some all the time. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we're obviously seeing is not necessarily a treatment, but with regards to, you know, CBDs and where those are coming up as of right now, uh, there's only one particular CBD element or drug that's been approved 
for the treatment of a very specific epileptic case, um, which is fascinating as far as how, you know, much more, I guess, biologically friendly it is to the patient as opposed to some of the harsher uh, epileptic drugs that we've seen over the years that either aren't really prescribed anymore or, you know, have kind of gone under-prescribed. But ultimately, you know, another point of CME is being able to to keep up to date on some of the most, you know, latest and greatest in the treatment areas and the therapeutic areas on what's going on, whether it's oncology, biologic treatments that are out there, mm-hmm. um, or just basic new devices for for various types of cardiovascular events. It's quite fascinating to see how quickly that stuff moves, and CME is definitely an amazing delivery agent um, to get that information across in real time to physicians and allied healthcare practitioners. How does that, like, you know, the trajectory of that, do you hear that from the, the CDC, and then we got a lot of acronyms today, CDC, and then it becomes uh, a new use under CMEs, and then you go to maybe a conference or you go online, and that's how you keep current. How does that, like, trajectory happen? It comes into your think, office or, yeah. Yeah, I think what we typically do um, is kind of try to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on in the FDA pipeline, which is all public information. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to clinical trials and where they're at and who's got a drug and what and what they're looking at, and ultimately, um, as things become approved on the FDA pipeline, you tend to start to see uh, some of the commercial interest or pharmaceutical companies have funding for education in that area. A lot of what Global does is funded by educational grants from commercial interest, uh, like various pharmaceutical companies. So kind of following the pipeline and then watching it trickle into the the pharmaceutical company and then into their continuing medical education grants department, which is then typically where we would submit a grant or strategically work with, um, you know, a non-accredited medical education communication company and try to solicit funding so that we could ultimately have a program that can meet the needs of the, the physician group or just the healthcare practitioner group who needed to be updated. So it's all about kind of following the process. It's really, it gets pretty complicated, but it's definitely fun to watch. You know, I, this might be old news, but I remember at one time I was involved with a, uh, a startup that was doing a micro bubble, um, and it was uh, plant synthetics. I remember it was going through... The process, I think it cost, is it like 12 million to run a drug through clinical trials all the way to what, phase four, phase five? Something, if not more. I mean, it can just, it just depends. Mm-hmm. It depends on if you end up with hiccups and you have to go back on some data. There's, there's so many variables. Oh, wow. So it could be a long time. Some people circumvent mm-hmm. that by going to Europe or going somewhere where it's not so stringent. Yeah, I think so. Or just changing the classification. I don't know that it's necessarily a thing with, um, pharmaceutical agents, but I think, you know, some of the nutraceutical things where, you know, you put out a, CBDs are a great example. CBDs are not regulated on any term whatsoever, so people just throw it out there on the shelf. You can get it at Walmart, Walgreens, whatever. Um, there's so no wait, what's CBDs, one, one more time, uh, what's that acronym? Are you talking about, I mean, you're in mm-hmm. Colorado. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? Um, stuff derived from medical marijuana. Oh, CBDs are right. actually a different cannabinoid um, that does not have THC in it, THC being the psychoactive component of marijuana. Right. So you get the cream for your joints and stuff. You see the little kiosks in the mall and yeah. Okay. Yeah. um, Hmm. So ultimately CBDs are typically thought to, you know, CBD refers to cannabidiol. um, Hmm. 
which typically does not have the THC in it, so it's not thought to be a drug. It doesn't, in theory, well, not in theory even, as far as we understand, it doesn't get you high. Um, you know, anybody could take CBDs. I think one of the big companies uh, developed CBDs early, like back in the earlier days for a small child who had a weird epileptic condition, mm-hmm. and it was discovered that these CBDs were helping to uh, calm her epileptic symptoms or stop the seizures more quickly than traditional methods. So again, it, it gets really kind of convoluted, but back to the point, I guess, you know, that kind of stuff is not FDA regulated. It's considered kind of like a, a vitamin or a nutraceutical. So it's just take as is, like the, the FDA does not approve of this statement, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, is it homeopathic like that too? That falls in that category. Exactly. Hmm. Various things like certain types of essential oils and stuff where there's, you know, some people swear by it. Uh, the data behind it is interpreted at best. I you know, like speaking of, I was out there in Colorado and uh, we were doing a, a POCUS festival, ultrasound, a point of care at uh, a university out there, Rocky Vista actually. And so we took a little ride and we were in some small suburban town and I was amazed that, you know, I was thinking, okay, there's probably just one cannabis store, you know, with a little neon sign of a marijuana leaf. I drove down this road, there was probably five on each side of the road. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, what is this? Is this can this possibly be good? I I, I wonder. Um, yeah, marijuana blew up in Colorado for sure when we approved it for recreational use. It was amazing. Um, I yeah. couldn't even tell you what the zoning is because where where I live in Denver, like it's every fifteen feet. I swear, there's a another marijuana store, and there's you know then they delineate the difference between medical versus recreational because. In Colorado, you have to be 21 to consume recreationally, but for some reason, you can get a medical marijuana card at the age of 18. Wow. <laughs> so it's like a weird, it's almost like, huh. I don't know, I look at it as the equivalent of being prescribed, you know, vodka or beer or something. So you can go to a liquor store if it's medical, but not otherwise. <laughs> you know, I don't know about all that. I mean, I you know, this is just personal, and I don't want to get all political, but... Uh, you know, I, I get the medicinal part, the recreational part. I, you know, I don't know if I want to fly on a plane with a guy with stone turning the knobs or the bolts on my engine. You know, I just, it's hard to tell. Uh, if someone's inebriated, you pretty much know. Uh, but it's hard to tell when people are high. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, so let's talk about some other stuff. Let's talk about patient care and safety. Maybe uh, you can throw in some shared decision making that you guys do. Yeah, so definitely something moving forward with continuing medical education that we've seen substantial growth in is um, a direction towards shared decision-making between the healthcare practitioner and their patient. Um, CME has become a great forum for those kind of discussions with regards to, you know, allowing an, an area for learners to, to speak to each other on perhaps various methodologies they use to communicate news to patients mm-hmm. or communicate options for patients. Um it's quite fascinating growing, you know, or quite fascinating, I guess, watching this industry kind of develop more towards the, it's not just the physician who knows all or the, the nurse who knows all. Now they're letting the patient in on some of that information, realizing that because of, you know, an increase in Google and Ask and, you know, WebMD, that patients do have more knowledge than originally thought to have. So to bring them into discussions surrounding their healthcare treatments, I feel, um, has definitely been something for beneficial to both parties. It allows for an open discussion area, and then watching the the type of CME programs that we've had, you know, like small roundtables where physicians get to discuss how they would deliver certain news to a patient or how they would explain the treatment options to a patient and kind of 
watching them, you know, develop that middle ground of those communication skills has been something that we've definitely done with regards to continuing medical education uh, recently, and I think is going to continue to grow moving forward. Mm-hmm. I personally actually saw something for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, in 2014, my mom was having some issues with her vision, went to her optometrist. Her optometrist immediately sent her downstairs to the ophthalmologist, who then called me as her emergency contact, um, <laughs> wow. had a discussion with me, said that we need to go to an ER. He was going to call the ER to speak to um, an internist there. And ultimately, we went from the op to the ER to speak to this internist, and what it came down to is my mom had cancer, and it was originally caught by the ophthalmologist because of some uh, hemorrhaging in her retina, which was then confirmed by the ophthalmologist. The ophthalmologist had his suspicions, called the internist, who took us, you know, triaged Mm -hmm. us in the ER, and then ultimately sent us up to the oncology department to the oncologist, uh, who further confirmed the suspicions that she had chronic myeloid leukemia. So watching that that intercommunication um, between a multitude or a multitude of, of various disciplinaries was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, I can. Let alone the shared decision making of like, hey, this is what we think, so this is what we think is best. And ultimately, uh, I think as a lot of cancer patients are, my mom was fairly in shock, so it was really more communicating with me and my sister at the time, uh, or I guess she's still my sister, right? Uh, yeah. My sister to determine what the best treatment option would be. Like, do we wait? Do we go? Should we go here? Should we go there? It was it was interesting. But I saw real-world interdisciplinary teamwork happen. Yeah, it's always great when it's a healthcare team working like that. And you kind of just elaborated on that. I was thinking about healthcare professionals, the things they face day-to-day, and, you know, some of these real-world challenges. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, some of the Speaking of, you know, the hospital and the internist there, some of the hospitalists are people who are expected to know a lot about everything. Um, So continuing education has always been, I think, an identified area of need for that particular subset of people, you know, whether they're in an ER treating somebody with COPD or somebody with cancer or who knows, like a ruptured spleen. There's all kinds of things that they have to know some information about as opposed to, you know, you're like an ophthalmologist who very clearly wanted to specialize in something or an oncologist who very specifically specializes in maybe hematologic cancers, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, with with the increase in CME and the, the you know, definitely the popularity of it, I think it definitely helps a lot of those um, specialists stay on top of what's the latest and greatest in something, even if it's not their specialty area, even if it's something they just kind of want to know about. Um, it's definitely an avenue for them to to garner some knowledge and further their their own practice. Well, listen, Andrea, um, thanks for being on today's podcast. Uh, you guys are doing some amazing things. I've never seen a peek behind the curtain with the whole CME thing. That's uh, very enlightening. Thank you for all you do to increase uh, patient safety and keeping everybody abreast on the latest and greatest. Yes, thanks for having me. Everybody out there listening, don't forget, for more POCUS-style topics, follow us on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy.
for listening. Be sure to join us at Twitter at POCUS Academy and Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the POCUS community, visit us at POCUSworld.org. Take a look at participating in our POCUS 25 research. Help contribute to the scientific development of the top 25 point-of-care ultrasounds. And we'll see you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intellios. This podcast is for information purposes only.